six of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined as always on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, good afternoon. Hello. We have a lot to cover in a short time, so we're going to dive right in. I'm not even going to ask you how you're doing. I know you're doing fine. You're about to go to the yard in a little bit. But we got to talk. Jason and I spoke about uh, Adrian Beltre's injury on Sunday. We realized it was going to be pretty bad. I I still think that it's being undersold. But uh, the fallout from that is uh, that Joey Gallo has been called up. So now we kind of we've been given a a time frame. I think people are still looking at that two to four week time frame with um, with Beltre. And I just oh man, I don't know. I I, I still feel like it's going to be more. I thought the first thing was saying hey, he won't even swing for 12 days. So how's he going to be back? You know, so quickly after that. So I'm a little bit worried about Beltre. But of course, everyone's focused on Gallo coming up. The uh, huge power prospect, you know, dude can just crush. He and Chris Bryant last year at the Futures game having a great time with the pop, but tons of swing and miss. If you think Chris Bryant swings and misses too much, just wait until you see Joey Gallo. First off, what do you think of the Beltre injury? Do you think that two to four week time frame is legitimate uh, or should it be longer in your estimation? And then talk, talk to me about Gallo and your expectations for him. You know, I think there's actually an implicit idea that the you know the rangers might not agree to it or publicly but i think there's an implicit idea that this might be on the longer end because they brought up joey gallo as opposed to some uh round rock you know whomever or you know you know they could have brought up roughnet or door oh yeah that's true they could have just brought and that, that is somebody that jason and i spoke about we said odor could have just been called up and then jostled around with guys like adam rosales and rosales can play third yeah so yeah. um you know, I think this this does suggest that there may be a little worried it'll be longer. Um, that's about all I can say about Beltre. Other than he's been, you know, healthy and great <clears throat> and had a lot of longevity and um, needs to hang around long enough so I can talk to him about this damn story I've got in my head. But uh, Joey Gallo, uh, on the other hand, is interesting. Uh, he led his he led the Texas League uh, with strikeout rate, which isn't uh, too surprising. Um, you know, given your intro and, and what people know about him. But um, uh, it was a pretty pretty fair amount, too. I mean, 33.6%. Next is David Washington, uh, no name that I know of. Uh, Hunter Dozier, the Royals, um, I think somewhat surprising um, college-aged guy that was maybe going to be a shortstop, probably not going to be a shortstop anymore. Uh, he is, he's scuffling. Um, but what's funny is that you see – Joey Gallo leading the list with strikeout rate, and you go over to uh, Wade Runs Created Plus, and he's at 192. So he's basically been twice as good as the average uh, batter in the Texas League this year. Oh, wow. And then all the guys next to him, after him on the list, all, all the guys over 30% uh, strikeout rate are all below league average. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, I mean, that, I mean, you know, we know, we talk about this all the time about putting the balls in play and not yep. really getting the benefit of the bounce ever and um you know just having a real small sample on balls in play and but you know he 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 does he does really good on balls in play as a 450 babbit uh, I mean, he's, but it's really about the, the power with him yeah he's a total right now uh total adam dunn sort of guy you're going to hear that a lot uh it fits it's not a lazy comp uh at this point because of what he's been doing gallo you mentioned the 34 percent strikeout rate 33.6 uh 16 walk rate and then the fact that he's still got nine bombs you know he's still got a 636 slug a 322 iso so he's got power 
walks and strikeouts. That's that that's Adam Dunn right there for you. So, I mean, but, I don't but, know. Though. But he's not going to be peak Adam Dunn right away. That's the thing. He ha- he would have to build up to it. Adam Dunn didn't come up this raw. Uh, yeah, but also Adam Dunn in the minor leagues uh, struck out less. Um, that's that's what I'm saying. He it it evolved into being Adam Dunn. Whereas Gal is kind of already there with the with the I mean the strikeouts are just through the roof. I, do you think we're gonna eventually have to adjust our level of expectation with strikeouts? Because right now, you know, I got into a, a discussion with somebody about Chris Bryant and his rest of season projection. You know, about how I was saying that he's gonna hit 260, and I'm like, that still feels really high to me. That still feels like a really high uh, batting average because of how much Chris Bryant strikes out. Is it just going to be with some of these guys like Gallo and Bryant who are so powerful that they'll be able to kind of, you know, sort of beat the odds regularly with this? You know, Chris Davis, when he had his big breakout season, obviously he hit for average and he had the huge strikeout rate. That's why it was kind of easy to, to plan for some regression there uh, because it doesn't seem like you can do it much more than a season when you're missing that the, the ball that often. And so I just, I don't know, I, especially with Gallo right now, I have very low expectations off the bat. But uh, even with Bryant for the rest of the season, I still think he's going to hit a, a real rough patch where the swing and miss uh, is played up, and and all of a sudden he's hitting 240 the rest of the way. It was still with great power, but not not 260, not some of the 280 figures that I've seen people throw around for like a Bryant rest of season. So what do you, what do you think about the strikeouts? Are we going to have to adjust our level of thinking, or are they just are the guys that strike out so much going to come back down because they have to? Yeah, I mean it, <clears throat> it is one thing, you know. There never used to be guys that struck out 30% of the time. I mean, <clears throat> for a long time, that was basically you're out of baseball kind of yeah. stuff. It's and, like a scarlet letter to, to strike out like that. Yeah, like a third of the time. I mean, what do you you really got to really do a lot in the other two. And the, the funny thing about Chris Davis is he, he didn't even pair a good walk rate with that on the way up. Uh, but now now bad, you know, pitcher's a little bit more afraid of him, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. The walk rate's been a little better. But... Um, yeah, and then there's one thing to say about Chris Bryant, you know, striking out 30% of the time when he struck out, you know, maybe 26, 27% of the time in the minors. So, um, you know, that's one thing. And then there's Joe Gallo, who struck out, you know, 30 to 38% of the time in the yeah. minors. I mean, his, his minor league strikeout rate is like 35%. So, And not uh, even at the highest level yet, either. That's the thing. Yeah, so what what would he be like against the crafty veterans in AAA? Uh, you know, I, on the other hand, uh, I know that Keith Laws talked about Joey Gallo making adjustments and improving his approach to the play. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some benefit to be given to the fact that he's 21. I mean, some benefit to be taken from the fact that he's 21. Mm-hmm. Um, that that gives him, you know, four or five years at least of of strikeout rate improvement. Um, so that's that is a good point to make. Um, you know, Adam Dunn uh, came up uh, at 22. Not that it's a huge difference, but um, also Adam Dunn came up in a different in a different time. I mean, that's yes. that's that's the bigger point is that strikeouts are up everywhere, and so that's kind of what I was press. trying to get at. What was yeah. the, the the eras are different? So yeah, we do make that comp, and I do think it uh, has some has some fitting to it. 
but I'm just wondering, you know, how should we even, how much historical stuff should we be looking at saying, hey, a guy with X strikeout rate has never done this. It, it might become like the, like the passing records in football. You know, no guy has ever done this. Well, yeah, that's because they played a completely different game of football as recently as 10 years ago. So all the records that they cite are kind of stupid to me. I, I just, they don't, they don't hold a lot of weight. I'm wondering if we're getting there with strikeouts to where we have to readjust everything at least how we look at it historically but i also don't think i'm smart enough to be the math person to do that, that that's the that's the problem i'm just telling other people to do it figure it out guys well my my catnip is a little bit more you know i i have to i hate to say but you know i'm gonna bring up the name brandon wood and yeah I just, you have to with this i mean you have to yeah and i the reason i bring it up is not because i see that i'm you know smart enough to see a swing comp or, um, you know, that I, that I think Gallo is going to end up like Wood. I just bring it up because <clears throat> I do think that there, there are players that aren't going to make enough contact to play in major leagues. So even as the strikeout rate comes up, that's still a risk. And no matter what, you know, a guy with a 35% strikeout rate in the minor league is closer to that sort of risk than any other risk, I think. And, I mean, and let's, uh, for folks that only know Brandon Wood as like maybe a failed prospect, let's take you back quickly to the time when he was just a prospect and he was finishing uh, or he was being rated third on the on the Baseball America list, fifth on the Baseball Prospectus list, eighth the next year on the on the BA list, um, and then even 16th a year later. They kept, they they stuck with him. He Brandon Wood, 43 homers and 116 ribbies in a in a two league season at age 20. Um, but he struck out 134 times in 134 games, then 25 homers and a 907 OPS the next year with 149 strikeouts in 118 games. And what it all added up to was not much in the majors, knocked around for five years, only 751 plate appearances and, and 218 strikeouts. That's a, a 29% rate, which again, even just five years ago, uh, or, you know, seven five to seven years ago when he was playing in the majors, that was obscenely high. I mean, it's still pretty high now, but it was obscenely high at 29% uh, that, that short time ago. Yeah, and there are other guys, Josh Booty, uh, Dallas McPherson, uh, even Brett Wallace, um, you know, that fit this profile. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, I, I then the other name I wanted to bring up was Michael Franco, which is, uh, I think an interesting name to bring up right now because he's a guy who's shown uh, some good power, not Gallo-esque power, but good power with, you know, a third of the strikeout rates uh, of, uh, of Joey Gallo. And then there are people who say that, you know, Michael Franco has slider bat speed and uh, he's going to strike out a lot more in the major leagues. Well, you know, the one thing that we can kind of look at in his line right now is that he has a major league average swing strike rate and a, uh, and a good strikeout rate um, and major league average power. But, you know, that sort of upside, it's a ceiling floor situation again. And I'm, and I'm always like, you know, much more uh, attracted to the, the guys with the higher floor um, just because, you know, in the all or nothing thing, I don't want to end up with the Brandon Wood. I'd rather end up with um, a couple guys you know, hitting 285 with, you know, 18 homers, you know, then spend five roster spots uh, trying to find Adam Dunn. Yeah. So, uh, 
you know, that, I guess that's just a personal preference, and it, it doesn't always work out that well. Uh, I will admit that sometimes uh, other play, other teams in my leagues sometimes have better boom or bust cycles where um, when all their players come together, they're, they're better than me. I do, uh, you know, my 20-teamer that I talk about here all the time, um, I've taken that approach where I just try to get high-floor high guys that are going to play, um, going to play well, I, I hope. And, uh, and then, you know, nail all my pitchers, which I do. And uh, I'm sixth again this year out of 20. Last year I was like seventh or eighth. You know, maybe what's missing is the sort it's of the going way to get for it first. And, and, yeah. You know, and getting that, getting that jewel prospect and, and, and riding him to the top. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of pain to get there. You know, if, if somebody, if you were trying to go get Joey Gallo right now, you know, you'd have to give up a lot. Absolutely. You know? And, 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 you know, it's easy to think now uh, how much it would be worth it if you gave up a trade for Chris Bryant as recently as last year. But you, you didn't know he was going to do this, you know, and, right. and, and he's still only done it for 40 games. So even then, it's not like you could say whatever trade you did uh, to get him and you would have had to pay the farm last year throughout the entire year uh, because Bryant was amazing and always felt like, hey, he could be called up any day realistically because he's so good. Um, and so, yeah, you would have had to pay through the nose. And uh, I, I hear you on that. So if you, and you're in a 20 team league and you're consistently maybe five through eight almost every year, never really falling below that 10 threshold, you're, you're saying that there are other guys who are maybe, you know, one and two every once in a while, but then often sitting maybe in the 15 to 20 range because they got a few busts or they, they cleaned out their system for a couple prospects who, who didn't pan out. So now they're completely restarting the cycle. And, and it's just a matter of preference. Like you said, do, do you prefer to be the guy who can just always kind of be there and then maybe do some trades to really get over the top? Or do you want to build it all on your own, but have that boomer bust potential to where you're going to have some long summers in that league? So I, yeah. I, I hear you. There's a, there's, there's money down. So I, I want to be in it every year. Ditto. That's uh, the way I play. I'm, I'm always, I'm always trying to compete. I don't like to give up years even in a league that is kind of a dynasty, I still, yeah, I don't, I'm not trying to pay my X dollars to, to, to just chill it's though. So for a year. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't do it. I can't do it. So no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you there. Some people have the, uh, have the patience for it or, or the desire. I, I don't uh, have either. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk a little bit. Well, about I just wanted to want to add one uh, aspect of this because, um, you know, because I said this is not the time to go get Joey Gallo. Somebody asked me otherwise, you know, is this the time to go get Jose Fernandez? And I don't think so. You know, it's uh, these guys have so much hype going around them. And then the people who owned Joey Gallo, you have to put yourself in their shoes. The people who exactly. owned Joey Gallo until now, the people who owned Jose Fernandez for the first couple of months, they're just about to get a taste of, you know, what what they waited for. Mm-hmm. So I don't think this is a good time, and and you know just a just a couple of ways that I try to um, you know uh, maybe keep my toe in the high upside bin. I just do it on a lower level. I'd rather not pay for Joey Gallo now. Uh, instead, even in the Ranger system, I have two prospects in a couple of my leagues that I think could be Joey Gallo's down the road. You just need to give him some time. One guy's Lewis Brinson. Yes. Uh, who has, you know, all the tools, power, speed, um, you know, a good amount of patience, strikes out a little bit too much, but, you know, more like 25%. Is the other one no more? Another guy, uh, yeah. Trapped Demer- Demerit. Oh, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this gentleman. Well, 
you know, for his career so far, uh, he's got about a 13% walk rate and a 35% strikeout rate. Oh, oh my uh, God. But he's got almost a 200 ISO, uh, and he has 35 homers and uh, 21 steals in something like uh, 700 plate appearances. Oh, my gosh. That's insane. Uh, and he plays up the middle on the, in, on the infield. So he's so probably going to be a second baseman. This could be somebody that folks should get used to hearing about soon. I'm look, I got him pulled up now. Yeah, he's an A ball. And as I don't know, I've mentioned on the show a couple times maybe, but my bandwidth kind of stops at double A. And then I have a, I know, a, a I know. cursory knowledge. Guys, but now everybody's bandwidth, you know. And now Absolutely. No, you're right. Play, guys. So you kind of almost, you know, if you're going to take a chance, and, and you know, you can take a chance at a couple of these guys and, and hopefully have the roster slots to do it. Of course, their percentage, of, uh, uh, the, the, these are big bus rate guys. I mean, but yeah, the I mean, cost is much lower, like you're saying. Strike, striking uh, out 35% of the time. But but uh, at least you, the cost is a lot lower. So yeah. that's that's all I'd say. No, uh, I guess the, the reason that I also don't get pushed beyond AA is I don't have a, uh, an actual dynasty league uh, in, my, in my arsenal, like a full-on legit dynasty league. So that helps me, you know, because I know once a dynasty league gets drafted, uh, that, that initial draft, every other draft, you know, it's not – you're not drafting Bryce Harper again. You know, he's on the league. Or he's on the yeah, team. Right. He was the third pick overall or whatever, and he's gone. So now you're looking at who who's in the fall league, you know, because uh, there's always a couple, a handful of hardcore dynasty leaguers that come to the AFL uh, Baseball HQ Symposium every year, and they're scouting these guys, you know, really trying to get a beat on the ones that uh, – we aren't paying much attention to. They're like, who are these other guys here? Everyone knows the the Trouts and the Posies and, and, and the up-and-comers uh, that we're seeing there, but they want to find guys like this, this Travis Demerit guy that you're talking about for Texas. That that could be a great find. Like you said, it's, it's prospecting, prospecting, but the cost is low, and that's, that's what matters here. Uh, yeah. Speaking of prospects, let's stick on prospects. Uh, I'll get to the other guy there in the middle um, with the other guy at the other top. I think you know what I'm talking about. Nobody else does. Don't worry about it. Carlos Correa. <laughs> Your, his heel is hurting, uh, a little bit, a triple A injury here. And so that's obviously going to delay him a little bit. It's, it's just a day to day thing right now. He's kind of out of the lineup here and there. Um, not, not a full on disabled list or anything, but obviously those that were getting really excited about that, any sort of day call up, it, it's probably at least on hold for a couple of days. I guess anytime we say that though, the guy seems to get called whoever it is, I'm, you know, cause Jason and I were talking like, well, it won't be Gallo. That's for sure. And then it was Gallo. So, I have no idea. Maybe Correa is on his way up. I have no clue. But my guess, based on the information that we do have, is that with a heel injury kind of nagging on him and the fact that he doesn't have like some, you know, 1,000 OPS at AAA means they're not going to be in a rush. Plus, they're still playing really well uh, for the Astros. But uh, what, if, you, if you got a ballpark, I'm going to make a guess. When do you think we will see Correa? I think they might try to get through it without him. You know, I could, between, I could see that. Between Marwin Gonzalez and, and VR, they have a bit of an offense-defense uh, platoon. Oh, that's and, good. Know, I didn't even think about it. That yeah, that's that's a that's a good one. And you know, it's it's and it's amazing, and it might not it might not hold because VR is showing the best strikeout rate of his career by like ten percent. But you know, this kind of, I think this kind of VR, even though it has a little bit less power than, you know, the uh, best upside VR. Sure. Um, you know, I think he, he must be um, cutting down his swing a little bit because. That, that's the thing. They're, they're probably telling him, listen, man, we got pop everywhere. We don't need, 
You don't yeah. need 10 homers from our shortstop if it takes a 30% strikeout. Exactly. They're, they're worthless. You know, your, your, your 10 homers are great, but with a 267 OBP, we, we got a fast ticket for you back over to Fresno. So if you want to change, yeah. then and, and start hitting, you know, up near 280 and getting your on base uh, 320 or higher, then you can play regularly. No, I, I agree with you. I think there's an absolute change in approach, whether it was something that he decided or the team told him, listen, dude. No, stop. If you want to play with us, here, here's here's the rule as far as VR goes. So, um, yeah, get on base more and steal more because, yeah, it, it's cool when you kind of get some hidden homers from a shortstop because you're not usually expecting them unless you're drafting Hanley or Tulo or, you know, a handful of other guys. But but they're unnecessary. I'd rather see VR try to get 25 stolen bases with a decent average. And so now, um, now they have a, a health reason uh, to keep them down and um... – I don't know, though. I mean, you, you never know. Maybe they look across at, at Gallo, and maybe the standings get tighter. I mean, right now, uh, the Astros are ahead of the Rangers by six games, pretty much, five and a half, uh, ahead of the Angels by four. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that gets tighter, you know, maybe they say, hey, now it's time to, you know, think about maybe even, I don't know what, how Appel's doing, but, you know, bring up the, the I prospects. And I don't think he's doing very well, but I, I could see what you're saying in terms of, it being dictated more by the by the standings. That's why I was saying, yeah, right now, they probably don't have a rush. They can they listen. Can, if I was, I know that I know that um, the Cameron wrote recently about the Twins, and um, and he said that uh, you know they shouldn't um, they shouldn't fall into some of the traps um, of of of, of, fa- of past uh, Twins teams. Uh, and I can hear what he's saying, but. Um, one thing that I would do if I ran the Twins is say, oh, my God, how did we, you know, get this many wins in, in the bank? Um, you know, let's call up Jose Barrios. You I know? agree with that one. And, uh, and, and they're going to get Santana, uh, what, in July? Yeah. So I mean, not you know, rumble for Aaron one more month. a little bit more about trading, and I don't uh, – I, I, you know – if maybe they get, and he said maybe it's okay if they get like an Aaron Orang or, or Marlon Bird, but they don't need to do a thing. I think they should just do it from within. I mean, Jose Barrios is in AAA. What do you, what do you, what are you risking at this point? I mean, no, I, Barrios. I, I would, I, I would love to see him call because I don't believe in their pitching. That's my, that's my problem with the Twins is I really yeah. don't believe in their pitching. Um, I consider myself a Phil Hughes guy, so I could even see him getting a little bit better, but not nearly enough to offset the, the, the colossal regression that has to be coming the way of Gibson and Pelfrey. Even if you believe that they can have some success with this with this high contact approach, they have a one four and one six strikeout to walk ratio respectively. That's Gibson and Pelfrey. That's so awful. And they're both toting uh, you know, sub three ERAs. Even a successful profile or, or successful results with that profile is usually like Phil Hughes's ERA, 459. Yeah. So that means you know that they're going they're going way up. I mean, the rest of the way. If they keep pitching like that, then they're then they're low to mid four pitchers, and and that's obviously going to come back hard on them, uh, because Trevor. I have Trevor a little hope May, for Kyle Gibson. We've talked about him. Exactly. He's had, I, I like. He's him. had some higher strikeout games, and and he has strikeout stuff. Whereas Pelfrey's been a nibbler his whole damn career, and I know he's throwing the splitter a little bit more. No, he he but, is who he is. Yeah. At, at this point, I don't believe that a, a couple more splitters is is going to tie the room together. So. Um, I think the you know, best maybe, for Pelfrey, uh, the, the best way that he can help them 
is to, is to log the 200 innings, something you know he hasn't done for a while now. But if he can stay healthy for the 200 and they are kind of in that four range, I think that should be considered a win from Pelfrey. But I agree with you that I, I've I think always the best been – that they could he could do for the team right now is blow up a bunch so they decide, so okay, they get rid this. of him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's going to do that. Uh, yeah. No, like I said – I've backed Gibson in the past too, but I still haven't seen the strikeouts. And so at this current rate, there's just no chance of a 261 ERA. So I agree. Bring up Barrios. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to get Santana. I know Alex Meyer isn't pitching well, but maybe bring him up and put him right into the bullpen because it is a little bit of a nerve-wracking bullpen, too, outside of uh, of Perkins. You know, are we are we really buying Blaine Boyer with his uh, with his Pelfrey-esque, uh, Pelfrey-Gibson-esque right. strikeout-to-walk ratio, and Aaron I think, Thompson? I think you are actually risking a little bit more with Carlos Correa in terms of development because – he plays a, a premium defensive position. I mean, if, if Barrios comes up, there might be some sort of confidence issues where he gets knocked around and doesn't want to throw his third pitch anymore. You know, th- there, there can be some stuff that can happen, but that can happen next year, too. I mean, that can happen with any pitcher you call up. You know, he's going to try and pitch. He's going to use his best pitches. He may you know, throw that, development that, out the window. I mean, look at Archie Bradley's. Right now, like that's going to happen with a, what we would consider established pitchers. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. That, that's exactly. that's just that just comes with the uh, with the. Look territory. at Archie Bradley. I mean, you can't say that Archie Bradley Archie Bradley's changeup is was about as ready as it's ever going to be. He comes up and he doesn't throw it once. So um, you know, I, I think that Barrios, you're risking less with Korea. You know, I think you do sort of risk this. Like, oh, I mean, can you tell him we just want you to come up and play defense when you have Marlon Gonzalez, who you know, a decent glove. Why, why, you know, tell him to do that? You kind of want him to. If you do want him up, then you kind of want him to 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 have some bat. Uh, do you tell him just to bat and not worry about the defense? And then all of a sudden, when you're premium, you know, positions, you're kind of got this weird glove at it. So, and they're also a ground ball team. No, yeah, uh, they, they 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 can't do that. They can't tell him to just focus on one thing. They say if you're coming up, he has to be. He, my guess is that he would be thinking, no doubt, as a as a one one. I got to come up here and I got to be the man. Yeah, yeah. So even if they yeah. told him one of those yeah. things, he, he would he would be like, no, you called me up to be the man. I'm going to try to be the man. Right, right. So I, I'm not sure. I, I, I you know, too, he's he's younger than uh, Barrios. It's a uh, it's a tough position uh, he plays. He's got a little bit less time. I, I, it's hard to compare a pitcher to a hitter, but um, you know, 240 plate appearances for for Korea. Barrios has like 110 uh, innings above Double A. Um, I guess they're about similar. Barry's a little bit further ahead, and, and uh, I don't know. I, I I don't see that. I don't see this as much of a need for the Astros, too, right? That's that's what we've been talking about with exactly. the Twins and stuff. It's like, you know, we look at the Twins staff and say, Yeesh, um, good luck with that." And I look, uh, I, look at the, I look at the Astros, and I'm like, "Wow, you've done all this with several guys hitting like 200." Um, I like your chances to make yeah, exactly get better. And, Get, if you could get the Astros anything, it would be like a Jose Barrios. You know, it would be like a Lance McCullers. Yeah, that's why they brought up Lance McCullers. Yeah, because they needed pitching. You know, and, they and they see they, what happens. No, lightning in a bottle pitching wise, and Feldman's hurt, and it made a lot of sense. But um, with Gonzalez and VR, I mean, they they groomed Gonzalez and VR to do this to be backups. Yep. One a little bit more bat for us, one a little bit more glove for us. It's it's how they use them. It's why they gave them shots at all when, you know, I think other people would have left them in, in trouble in AAA. So I, I, I'm not sure 
Korea's up. I mean, if I had a choice between rostering like Korea or Jung Ho Gong right now, um, it would be Gong because he's playing, he's shown some aptitude, he's right in his peak age, he's oh, taking yeah. control of that of that of that gig. Um, he doesn't have to. I mean, he might worry a little bit about his defense, but you know, his team wants his bat in the lineup and has shown that they'll play him at third and they'll play him wherever to get that bat in the lineup. So. <clears throat> I would. I'd rather have gone than Korea in a in a redraft league, not necessarily not not, not in a keeper league. I'd rather, and if that was my choice in a keeper league, I'd rather have Korea. I had Gung as my seventh shortstop for the rest of the way in our in our recently updated shortstop rankings. I had Korea twentieth, uh, accounting for the for the power speed upside and under the assumption um, that he would get called up sometime in June. I, I left it you know vague enough, but. Considering in my head that, you know, even if it's toward the end of June, you know, three plus month, months of him could could be enough to finish uh, top 20, which isn't even all that special. I mean, at shortstop, it's something. But, yeah, for this year right now, without Correa up and with the heel as a, as a, as a legitimate reason to leave him down, gung easily. Let's talk Marlins. Um, we got two, two issues with them, one good, one bad. You kind of hinted at this earlier when you're talking about, uh, you know, going to try to get Gallo right now. Don't go to try, don't go try and trade Jose Fernandez or for Jose Fernandez right now. He was apparently dominant in an extended spring training appearance and everyone's giddy about, about his return. The other piece of news is that Steve Tishek was sent all the way to double A. Although I don't know who their triple A team is, but I think their double A team is, is Jacksonville. And so maybe that was just to keep him in the state so that, uh, that he could, you know, easily come back. I, I don't necessarily know uh, that the distinction of the league is always as critical as, as we make it, but obviously things are not going well for Sishek. But I want to talk more about Fernandez right now um, because of the of the dynamics that you mentioned with regards to like trading for him or actually trading him. Now, if you if you if you drafted him, obviously, like you said, you you waited the time out, but um, you know, so you you held him for the two months, and now he's on, on his way back. It's tough to trade him, but if you can get a mint, I think now would be a good, you know, this this would be a potential sell high, another sell high peak for Jose Fernandez because the news about him is so glowing and everyone's so giddy that if you trade him in the next day or two, I think you you could fetch way more than than he deserves for what he's going to do the rest of the year. What do you think about Fernandez and and trading him as opposed to trading for him? I think the only way I'd do it really is if you know he was part of a high risk uh, starting staff in which the rest of my risky options all panned out. You okay. know, if I had a staff that was like uh, DeGrom, Harvey, you know, you know, like uh, the, the, one of the better versions of my, of my high risk, you know, second tier aces strategy. Right. Like if I, if I did like DeGrom, Harvey, uh, Carrasco, but in a 10 team or something. Right. And then did Fernandez later. Well, then I don't really need Fernandez as a pitcher as much as I might need hitters, you know, um, or, or, you know, upgrades across my team. Uh, so in that case, I might do it. Um, and, and, and like in lower, lower versions of that in other leagues, I might do it. Um, you know, if I, if I had two aces in any, it, and aces are defined by your league, really. Sure. Uh, but if I had two aces and I had Fernandez and I had other needs, then I could do it. But uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't really see too much of a problem here. I know that there's a command issue coming into this, but he's had great command. Uh, his velocity is all the way back, so you don't really have a velocity concern. Um, the park is so great. The results have been so great. 
Uh, he had Tommy John at 22, which is not super early, so that you're worried about him necessarily having it again really quickly. Uh, but it's also not super old, so he can have a pretty good recovery. So I'm not, I don't know. I don't think, uh, I, I only trade him if it was in this in the situation where I had a lot of pitching and I needed some hitting or something. Man, I, I'd be open to trading him uh, almost regardless of this, in a redraft. Obviously, uh, long term, I think I still want to hang on because of just how amazing Jose Fernandez can be. But in but in a season long, um, I'm definitely entertaining the offers right now because I've never, from the start of this year, never really believed that he's going to be himself coming back. So I think the expectations for him when he does come back are a little too high. And so if I could fill you know two maybe three holes, uh, or or get at least get couple holes filled and maybe another upgrade as opposed to you know getting three for one uh then i think i would do it for fernandez all right let's talk about uh, a handful of performances going on recently and you know the guy i said we were going to skip because he goes hand in hand with this other guy uh is now unveiled and it's uh, mike fires is the guy i want to talk about but also a cursory mentioned that jonathan lucroy is back and you know, Mar- Martín Maldonado, at least from what I can tell based on the, the numbers I'm looking at, is, is not a bad pitch framer, um, you know, or anything like that. So I don't, I don't think it was necessarily a sharp downgrade in terms of, of that uh, metric for, for the Brewers when, when Lucroy was out. But I have to believe that, you know, there's probably an intangible presence to Lucroy that definitely aids the pitching staff. I just I, – I don't know if I could, how you could quantify it, or even if you can, but of course, uh, to, to help to help push that narrative, he returns and Mike Fires throws uh, six shutout in, shutout innings, and they win six not uh, one nothing. Excuse me against the Cardinals. What do you think about Fires and then Lucroy's return at large for uh, Milwaukee? Yeah, um, I mean, th- th- what surprises what surprises me sometimes is when I watch Mike Fires is that he doesn't have pinpoint command. Um, I kind of just assume that he will because he's uh, because he's so high risk and he has that 87 mile an hour fastball and he's had these strikeouts. So I assume that the way that he got here was through um, was was through better command. It, but, it was uh, last year, but it's not. It's not there this year, certainly. Yeah, and it's weird when you look at his walk rate; it's pretty good. So he doesn't walk people, but I, I, I'm a little iffy on his command. Maybe, um, maybe Lucroy will help him steal some strikes so that he doesn't have to come uh, into the plate and and give up those homers. Um, and you know, the traditional you know thing to look at the three seven three batting average on balls in play. Um, that seems like. You know, that's got to regress. Maybe Segura being back will help that a little bit. Um, I mean, no matter what you think of Segura, he's, he's decent defensively. So um, I I love his strikeout rate. Uh, I like that he's got his battery mate back. I am uh, I still don't think he's going to do much better than uh, he's done in terms of strikeouts, uh, in terms of homers going forward. So I, I would bet on the batting average and balls and play regression and, and give him like a sort of three seven five, uh three eight with a you know one point two whip uh, and a strikeout per inning going forward. So with well, someone like Fires last year, uh, when 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 he has that kind of run, it's it's the meeting of command and control. Obviously the control uh has always kind of been there for him. You, you know, even going back to that that twenty twelve season, but then when he when he was really good He's mixing in the command with it, and then 
you know, everything melted down in 2013. And then, you know, for spots of, of this year, the, the, the control's still been there, been finding the zone plenty, but uh, with bad pitches. And, the, you know, you mentioned the home run piece. But, you know, now he's now he's now on a five-run uh, a five-start run with uh, a 257 ERA in 28 innings with 27 strikeouts. So you mentioned the strikeouts are, are in place for fires. I don't know. I'm I'm still holding out for for better than a 375 ERA. I still see something more, uh, you know, closer to that 330, 350 range with uh, as an upside. Um, if he could, but it really may, matters that he has to keep the ball in the yard. That's I guess that is where I do worry too because of the the 87 mile an hour fastball. But I'm still buying on fires. I, I was buying at the beginning of the year. It got it got off to a really rocky start, but he's he's chiseling away, and the strikeouts are, are worth a buy here, even if you are stuck with a higher threes ERA. But I still think that there's the potential to get in that 330-350 range with fires, and and Luke Roy will definitely help that. I, I I don't know significantly so I wouldn't say, but uh, he he will help it. You know what's weird is that fires hasn't been pitching inside as much, uh, high and tight. Um, Do you think that's related to the uh, to the beaning? And and maybe he was more affected by this Mike uh, by the Giancarlo Stanton beaning than than Stanton himself was. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely down against righties. Um, just loaded against lefties. He's not even coming anywhere close to inside on lefties. Um, although the strike zone for lefties is a little bit different, so yeah, uh, that that might be a function of the strike zone. But uh, it, even if you move the strike zone over a little bit uh, for fires, he's not going inside to either side, either lefties or righties that much, and. Um, I think with a rising fastball, you you think that it would go in on the hand sometimes. Um, that might look like something that's in your wheelhouse and then sort of rise above your hands. Uh, and I think that's got to be uh, effective in, in keeping them away from diving at things on the outside corner. And um, it seems it seems important. Uh, so I'm not willing to give him um, all, the entire benefit of the doubt. But uh, there have been times when I've been in love with Mike Fire, so I, I hate to be the scorn lover here, but um. no. I, listen, it's it's understandable. There there are reasons. Uh, it, it's not tough to make a case uh, for fear with him. So I, I get that. I get that piece of it. I'm just saying. I, I'm kind well, of well, put him up against a guy like. Let's put him up in a would you rather. How about uh, Fulte Navich? Oh, the fires easily. Yeah. For me. Um, you know, Fulte's shown some things, the strikeouts. I, I think that's a decent uh, name to throw there because of the strikeouts have been so prevalent with, with, with Fulte, Fulte man, I swear I say it different every time. And I know how to say it. I really do. It's just, it's hard to say. Um, no, that, that's actually, that, that's not, that's not as bad as I, I, I thought. Uh, I thought it was a further gap, but I'm still taking fires. Uh, maybe just not as resoundingly as I said. Well, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun. Would you rather because they're like opposites, you know, in a way. I mean, Fultonovich does not have good command at all, and he uh, has, has great blazing fastball. And you know, Fires has a well-rounded arsenal with uh, things that bend in each direction. Whereas um, uh, Fultonovich, uh, I think he should just give up that changeup. It it doesn't look good and uh, can't really command it. But the the reason that I'm a I'm a, I'm a little bit interested in Fultonovich is that. Uh, he, he's throwing the, the, the slider and the curve about as much as each other now. And they have significantly different movement. Um, and this, the, uh, the, the velocities are pretty different, too. So now he's sort of 95, 96 with the fastball, 85 with the slider, and 77 with the curve. 
So I think that's a pretty nice gap. I mean, 77 to 97, basically, is 20 miles an hour gap. Yeah. Um, he's got that the fastball, you know, he's got between the fastball and the curveball, he's got, you know, a foot and a half or a foot plus of drop difference. So, you know, he's got a lot of things going for him. They've changed his, his delivery slightly. And um, I'm not convinced that he, his command is much better, uh, but he's definitely throwing to the middle of the zone more. I think they've changed where he's on the mound, too. Well, so, you know, with, with Fultonevich, we've got uh, his first three starts, three, three, and four walks, and then his last three starts, one in each. And now I haven't – that this is all I've looked at is just the game log, so I don't know if there's any sort of change to back it up. Um, but like you're saying, if they're making tweaks with him, then maybe they found something that has helped him gain some more control because, yeah, it was it was as advertised when he first came up, kind of you know wild, but the strikeouts were there. The results were scattershot because, you know, you'd have to come into the zone. And, you know, the, the way it is a lot of times with these, with these uh, you know, raw stuff guys when they first come up. But then in just – a span of three starts, he's really straightened it out. Like I said, you're talking 22 to three on the strikeout to walk ratio for his last three starts now. And, and Fulton all of a sudden, you know, has become more intriguing. So I, I undersold him there. Like I, like I said, when I was like fires, no doubt slam dunk, it's closer. I'm still taking fires, but uh, Fulton has done some solid things in his last three starts. Definitely added some intrigue um, to a guy who, like I said, I was, I was, kind of ignoring a little bit because I thought the walk rate was going to kind of live in that four area. Yeah. All right. Let's, well, uh, it's, let's I think let's it's actually ahead. a tough one for me. I, I, I'm going to add my uh, pitcher rankings to the, to the uh, rankings this year. And I'll be interested to see where it, where it comes down. I'm, you know, I do like stuff. So I'm, I may go with Fulton which it, it, it's backable. I, I don't think you're, like I said, before, before digging into the numbers, if you had said that, I'd, be, I'd have been like, you're crazy, but uh, I, I mm -hmm. had to take a fresher look at the numbers. Whoops, left my phone on, sorry. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, another guy here and then kind of branch it off and close, close up this episode talking about your, your piece today. I want to start talking about Nick Martinez. You know, this is a guy I have not been buying in on. You know, I've been just kind of waiting for that train to come out and I keep losing DFS money every time I stack against him. I've, I've, I've at least finally stopped that because I've realized <laughs> that's, that's that too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, that, that much I'll stop at least burning my money. That said, I'm still <laughs> not really buying yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm moving a little bit closer because at least he's been missing some bats lately. And that there's something with Nick Martinez I can get around as opposed to just the, the Kyle Gibson, Mike Pelfrey route that he was taking there. But, uh, you know, he had, let me see. Martinez had 11 strikeouts in four starts during during April, and it was just like, dude, come on. But now over his last four starts, 20 strikeouts and 25 innings. Again, not amazing, but at least something to where you're not putting the ball in play that much. You noticed a pitch of, of Martinez's that's, uh, that's doing some decent things here and, and maybe uh, is a reason to reevaluate him and see a little bit more than just a complete mirage with Nick Martinez. What would you find? Well, his changeup is. Um, let's see here. I, I forget what the exact sound bite is. I'm, I'm going to get that up. But the, the, the changeup is good. He's got a, about a 20%, 22% um, uh, whiff rate on the changeup, which is um, interesting because he hasn't changed the movement on it. Um, he hasn't really changed uh, even how much he throws it. So uh, I think it's mostly because he's he's throwing the fastball less. So. Uh, it's a top 10 uh, changeup among starters right now in terms of whip rate. So that's, that's something that really surprised me. 
and it made me think, well, maybe I need to think this guy over. The thing is, he's still a bad fastball guy. I mean, like 4% whiffs on the fastball. You know, the, he's stealing whiffs from himself with, with bad fastball velocity. It's 89 or so. Um, and it's not enough of a sinker either uh, that can make up for the bad velocity. Uh, if you look at his ground ball rates, they're uh, mediocre. So I, I don't know how he's managed to get through 200 innings uh, with a 7% home run for fly ball rate. But I don't necessarily think that's going to continue. And even with a 7% home run for fly ball rate, he's given up a homer per inning. So I think the bad fastball is what you have to really watch out for here. And I, I, in the past, I've done a lot of, you know, go get Chase Whitley, you know, because he has the bender and the breaker and the whatever, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, forgot to, say, to look, at, look closely at his 91-mile-an-hour fastball. Um, and, and, so. his, and his UCL, apparently. Right. <laughs> you, you just didn't well, know how think, susceptible it was. I don't think the I don't, I don't know anything about Martinez's health, but uh, in in his case, uh, I do think that what's happening is he's throwing more sliders. Um, he's he's throwing the fastball less. He's hiding the fastball a little bit, and that's um, letting his other stuff play up. But it's even at this level where he's throwing you know ten percent less, ten uh, percent fewer fly balls, uh, fastballs than last year. Even at that level. His swing strike rate isn't average, and his strikeout rate is five per nine. It's just support. I, I mean, I, I mean, hate. He had like a sixty percent ground ball rate. That's what, know, yeah, exactly. I, I hate cutting it. down guys who are, are are you know having some success, you know, just out of hand, because it just it kind of feels nasty. But uh, I just I just can't I can't buy into it. I, you know, the the, the two hundred three ERA when you see a one twenty six WHIP. You're like, hmm, one of those is is not like the other, and it's because he's putting on too many base runners to to have such a great ERA. You know, he kind of did this last year. I don't know if it, it, it if, yeah, it's, if it's the correct well. thing, but yeah, through May he had a 2.75 ERA, and over the final four months he put up a 5.26 and 101 innings, um, with 57 strikeouts and 14 bombs. So you know, home run suppression is definitely a big key here. He's got 0.6 homers per nine because he's turned up the ground ball rate. But like you said, it's not some if it was some Dallas Keuchelian rate, we could get a little bit more excited, but it's not. It's 44%, which is good, not great. He needs to maintain that 0.6 to even have a viable ERA because and even it's with heating up in Arlington, exactly, and because even yeah. with that, even with a 0.6 rate, I still think that he would be a four ERA pitcher the rest of the way. Whereas if he starts lingering back up toward the 1.2 mark we saw last year, then you're in deep trouble. If you've gotten some good starts out of Martinez. Congratulations, but but if you're not selling or even outright cutting, like go cut him for for Fultonevich right now if if that if that's available to you. Um, if you're not trying to move out of this, you're going to get burned. I promise. Um, let's talk about some other guys in your uh, in your piece here because you were talking about standout pitches, and you looked at sliders, changeups, and 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 curves. Who stood out to when you were looking at them? Just pick the guy. What was the most interesting find to you? Obviously, if the Martinez one was, you have to scratch that one. We've already discussed that. But what was the most interesting find that you had within uh, within looking at these standout pitches? Well, there's there's three names that uh, won't help people too much in terms of they might help in terms of trade acquisitions, but not in terms of waiver wire. Um, uh, Sonny Gray now has the best slider in baseball by whiff rate um, among starters. So. Uh, he was looking for a change up and I think the slider he found is, is good enough. So, um, 
that's kind of kind of made me reminded me of Kershaw when Kershaw didn't have a slider and he just picked it up and, and then uh, yeah and then it was awesome right so uh, uh, so I think Sonny Gray is a kind of a singular talent and given my research on uh, short pitchers you know not necessarily having different outcomes than tall pitchers uh, when it comes to career stuff um, I'm I, I'm sort of like uh, a little bit more into Sonny Gray now than I was before I wrote that piece. Um, otherwise, uh, Clayton Kershaw's curveball is now best in baseball, which I'm happy for just because when I wrote about what makes a great curveball in the past, everyone said, where's Kershaw? And I said, <laughs> he's like, you know, 14th and people were like, shut up. Shut and, up. Uh, so now, so now I can say, no, you shut up. It's best. Um, and then, uh, Trevor Bauer's, uh, curve is also top 10. Um, and uh, given all the pitches he's thrown and the fact that his splitter and change are moving differently and are uh, getting more whiffs this year, I'm totally bought into Trevor Bauer. Um, you know, I, I believe in him and his coach, Kyle Body at driveline, and um, I, I think that they are really on top of getting the ball to move in new, interesting ways, and, um, and uh, I think that they're getting the most out of Bauer. But uh, in terms of waiver wire, there was one guy. There was one guy that I always, I, I, I think I know never, Miguel Gonzalez. You know, yeah. I, I don't think I own a single share of his. Me neither. And, and I don't think I ever have. I didn't, you know, stream yeah. him to pick him up. I'd never DFS'd him. Yeah. I don't think, despite how many, you know, thousands upon thousands of Please. fantasy innings and leagues <laughs> I've played, I've never had Miguel Gonzalez, and it's not like he's so bad that you would never want him. It's just that I never end up with him, and he's off to a, a really nice start. Uh, his ERA is kind of in line with what it's always been, but the whip is way down, which really makes him more of an asset. I mean, you can find in like a 12-team mix, like you can find a, a, a three-and-a-half ERA on the wire pretty easily. Um, and, and when it's coming with a 130 whip, which is what Gonzalez had last year, you're like, okay, maybe I'll try to get a couple good games here and not get uh, you know, my whip through the roof. But it's not that useful. Well, now with a 116 whip, the 348 ERA is a lot more uh, palatable, especially with a 20% strikeout rate, also a career high from Gonzalez. So are you seeing something in his changeup that suggests that some of what we're seeing this year might have some uh, some realness and we can kind of believe? Well, I mean, one thing that was interesting, I mean, it's a 23% whiff rate on the changeup. And uh, maybe it's a split finger and maybe that's unfair, but... Uh, to compare it to changeups, but even is if you that, compare, is them, it though? I always, I feel like I think I think that's fair to. There's a lot of mix. I, I will just say that the average splitter gets about 16% whiffs, whereas the average changeup is around 13%. So, okay. uh, if you do get classified as a split finger, then you're in a different class. But I do know there's tons of split fingers in the changeups because uh, Alex Cobb. Uh, shows up as a changeup, and that is exactly. definitely a no. It's 100. Yeah, that. So I've I've always lumped the two together, but it's good to know that the whiff rate threshold for average is three percentage points higher. You said 13 for changeups, 16 for splitters. So it is worth knowing that. But I still think that if you're classifying the two together, you're not off. And and a 23 percent, he crushes Miguel Gonzalez crushes either threshold. So that helps. Yeah, and and you know he's he's uh, you know top. It's it's the difference between being sort of. Uh, I mean the the, the pool is smaller uh, when it comes to split fingers too. So um, uh, you know the best the best uh, split finger. Let's see if I can find this quickly. Isn't it usually uh, Samarja's? 
Well, it's Brad Brock this year. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Uh, I always forget the random reliever who will have a yeah. pitch and be and like. Koji Uehara oh. is second. Yes, uh, his is devastating as as can be Animal on MLB the show. Sanchez has the best starters, right? I th- Brand- yeah. Brandon Morrow second. Masahiro Tanaka is third among starters. Odorizzi is fourth, and uh, Ubaldo is fifth. But uh, Odorizzi and Ubaldo fourth and fifth in the split fingers are already worse than um, than Miguel Gonzalez. Even if you call Miguel Gonzalez's splitter um, a splitter or change a splitter, he would be second to Anibal Sanchez. So uh, either way, he's got a, a really good changeup. It's a little bit better this year. There's a bit of a, a pitching mix change, but just in general, when you look at the pitch and how it moves, it's it's a good pitch. It has more drop than um, his slider, which is uh, which is good. It's an interesting thing when when you get that much drop out of your split finger, um, and it's the only thing that has arm side run um, and is slow. So you know he's got an actual decent um, arsenal with the slider, the curve, and the split. What what makes people not believe in Miguel Gonzalez, and this was sort of tangential to discovering that his splitter is good this year and better, um, is that all the projections have him going back up to like a 290, 295 Babbitt. Yeah. He has a 260 Babbitt for his career. He's, and- he's pitched 500 innings to a 345 ERA with a 124 whip. There, I think there's almost no reason not to believe he can't do that in the, fu- in the future. And the, the discovery for me was that his, his, uh, Fastball is like uh, one of the biggest rise balls in the game. Oh, okay. So he has a rising fastball, and he gets pop-ups. You know, his his pop-up rate is, um, let's see here. His pop-up rate is like 4.5%, which is uh, would be a league leader. Oh, wow. And, and that's for his career. And this year, it's a little bit better. Uh, it's a little bit worse than that because he's not getting as many fly balls. But I was going to say, but he's got more grounders than, than flies this year, too. So if he's still getting a, a good number of pop-ups yeah. and improved his ground ball rate, which Miguel Gonzalez has, all of a sudden, we're getting some pieces here to where I'm really you know, buying into the, the, the results we've seen more than I was w- with a cursory look. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the, the fly balls, the infield fly balls, the pop-ups, they're, they're the – um, they're the key to that low Babbitt. And uh, I don't know that he's quite to the threshold where you just take his Babbitt and plug it in for the future, but uh, given these other things that you can learn about him, um, I like him a little bit better. I like him I like him a lot better than his uh, projections, and I think he can pretty much keep up what he's doing, you know, maybe a few homers uh, late in the season. Uh, but even now, he's given up homers at near his career rate. Yeah, and uh, and still managing to do what he's doing. So um, he's not uh, he's not an ace. He's not you know the next whatever. He's not no. the you know, next breakout star. But given the fact that no one seems to believe he's doing it, um, I, I think there's something there to believe in. Yeah, uh, and Miguel Gonzalez is 31, so you're making a good point there, saying not the next super stud or anything, but a useful right, right. pitcher on a quality team. All right, you know yeah. that's gonna that's gonna finish this up. I will link to the piece for the folks who didn't read it. Uh, standout pitches, great piece. I agree with what you're saying about Gray. Uh, definitely got him wrong this year. Just just didn't see that development of an ace third pitch, and so I I, I just I wasn't believing that he was going to have a strikeout surge, and and it's not like. You, you know, those who did believe in him were saying, oh, he's got an amazing slider. So, you know, 
I, I still feel good about the analysis preseason, but I, I've altered. I've adjusted. There's, there's new information on Sonny Gray, and he is a stud. And, and I'm very happy about it because I liked him. I hated kind of ragging on him this year because he wasn't – I just didn't think he was a top 20 guy. Well, turns out he was. So, so that, that's mm-hmm. good there. But anyway, I'll let you get to the yard. We'll talk in a couple of days. Take care, Eno. Yeah, thanks for having me.